Thank you for joining us today. Whether you are part of the Lighthouse family, be it on-site with us weekly or tuning in online, we'd love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Ely. It's on all our social media platforms. I hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Thank you for coming here, and I feel really privileged to speak to you, especially given the wealth of speaking talent that you have in this church. And I thought I'd give you a very little bit of background about me to help make this sermon, to help the sermon make a bit more sense to you, because it, it might be a little bit different. So um, I've just finished a PhD in philosophy, um, and I've been studying philosophy for about the last 12 years. And for those who don't know what philosophy is, it's a subject where you start to ask questions about the nature of reality. A lot of the questions religion asks as well, actually. But instead of trying to approach them from within a religious context, you start to try and apply tools of reason to make sense of them. So that's what I've been doing. And then what happens is when you look back on your faith or ideas and the faith that you come across, you can't help but take those same tools to help clarify concepts and help things make sense to you. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk to you a little bit about how I'm beginning to make, I'm not going to claim to be there completely, how I'm beginning to make sense of faith and what it is. And I've entitled this, sub, this uh, sermon, Faith is a Substance, and hopefully you'll see why I think that's the case. But before I do, let's just pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us orphans either, but you gave us the Holy Spirit when you ascended. And it is your Holy Spirit that will teach us and lead us in all truth and reveal your scriptures to us. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit can be with us and among us as we look at your word to bring us clarity, to bring us insight, to bring us revelation, and to lead us in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this sermon is going to focus almost entirely on Hebrews 11, which is the great chapter of faith. Um, And I'm going to start in verse 1, which is where this idea of faith as a substance comes from. So can we have that first scripture up there? Um, Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Can we just leave that on for a minute? Sorry, just, just that one, yeah. Um, now, I've heard this a lot of times. It was, it was a verse that got spoken from the pulpit quite a lot. And it's like, yep, yeah, yeah, amen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But before I go on, because this sounds like a definition of faith, right at the front end of Hebrews 11, the writer comes out with his definition of faith and then spends the rest of the chapter talking about what this faith looks like and examples of this faith in action. But before we move on to other bits of the chapter, I want us to first of all realize how weird this verse actually is. I mean, if I was going to define faith, I wouldn't call it a substance, and I wouldn't call it evidence. Why? Because I think I know what substance is, right? This lectern is composed of substance. Substance is the stuff that makes up reality. So how is faith like stuff? How is faith like a substance? That certainly seems a little bit curious. And if it's a substance, why is it the substance of hope? Good question. Secondly, why is faith evidence? I mean, certainly a a traditional or intuitive way of understanding faith is that faith and evidence kind of are different things. If you believe, if you know something, you have evidence for it. The classical philosophical definition of knowledge is you have to believe it, it has to be true, and you have to have evidence for it. If all these three things uh, are the case, then you know it, okay? But faith almost seems to be a belief without evidence. I don't need evidence, I just have faith. So then why is the writer here said that faith is evidence itself? of things unseen. That's also quite curious, um, but I'm hoping that when we come back to this verse at the end of looking at other bits in Hebrews, we'll start to see why, of course, faith is a substance. 
Okay. Of course faith is evidence. And not only is it evidence, it's evidence of hope and things unseen. So that's, that's the plan. Um, and I'm going to look at three different sections of Hebrews, three different aspects of faith that will then come back to this verse. So thanks very much. We'll go to the next one now, please. So here's the, here's the first clue we're going to get. Okay, I picked up verse 6 here. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, i.e. God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you can get, move, go to the aspect one now. So the first aspect I want to talk about that's revealed in this uh, verse is that faith involves belief. And it does involve belief. That verse says that we must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Well, that's very important. But I also want to say that faith is not a belief or set of beliefs. Why? Because faith is a substance, right? And here I think there can be some confusion. It's very easy to think that faith is all about belief. And often if you look at debates that happen in the public sphere about atheism or theism, you have one side saying God exists and provide all their evidence for it. The other side say God doesn't exist and provide all their evidence for it. And if that's the kind of idea of faith that you completely buy into, you can think that faith in God is somehow believing in this extra object out there, this God that exists out there. That is, if I sit down with an atheist and we wrote down on a list all the things that we think exist. The atheist writes chairs, tables, people, institutions, political parties, and then gets to the end of the list, and I've got all the same things, but then I just keep going, and I put God and angels and heaven and demons and, and, and so forth. That we just have this longer list. So we have this idea that maybe everybody has this view of the physical world that we share, and if you believe in God, you sort of tack on this extra supernatural realm onto what everybody else shares. Now, I want to say that that is not the kind of beliefs that I think is comes out of faith, and that God is not some extra object on our list of things that we believe in. Rather, I want to say that faith is the basis upon which we form our beliefs about absolutely everything, that it's a posture from which we think about the world. Um, and it's because of faith that we have in Christ that Everything, every aspect of our understanding is reinterpreted and everything is re-understood in the light of Christ. This is, I think, what Paul is talking about where he says that we have a renewing of our mind, that every aspect of our thinking is transformed in the light of our belief in God. Now, the beliefs, faith itself, though, remember, is not a belief and it is not a set of beliefs. These beliefs follow from God. But what these beliefs do, at least when they're working properly, is that they provide the mental content of our faith. They are the way we intellectually try and make sense of faith that we have. The way we try and be faithful in our minds to that faith. Um, and it spells out an entirely different way of thinking about reality itself, including God. So here's an example. Examples always help when you're talking about this sort of uh, philosophical stuff. Um, Imagine through faith you now believe in heaven. Well, as I say, heaven isn't just this extra realm we add on to the belief in earth. It transforms the way we understand this world, right? When we believe in heaven, our existing beliefs about the world lose its centrality. It loses its fundamental importance. The physical world itself is then re-understood or reinterpreted as temporary, as fleeting, as comparatively less important. 
And so our entire attitude towards uh, other beliefs are changed. When Richard Dawkins believes in atoms, and I believe in atoms, the things we believe in are actually very different, because he thinks they're the ultimate things that constitute the whole of the world, the whole of reality, and I don't. I think they're just a clever physical idea to help explain certain equations. And this is the sort of thing that changes when we come to God. So it does involve beliefs, but, and it's all-encompassing about beliefs, but that belief shouldn't be confused with faith itself, which is far deeper than that. Here's something else I want to say about belief. I've talked a little bit about the first belief on that verse, about God's existence, but the other one said, you also have to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay? Show of hands, who believes that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Okay, most of you. That's fantastic. That's really good. You don't have to raise your cancer, this one. Who diligently seeks him? Okay? Now, here's the question. How do you know what someone believes? Is it what they will say to you if you gave them a questionnaire, what boxes they tick, and what they would confess, maybe in church? Or do you know what someone believes by watching their life and see how they behave? Now, I'm not actually saying it's one or the other. I think it actually involves a bit of both. But there are two philosophical theories about this. One is called the theory of assertion, which is you know what someone believes because it's what they will tell you or assert. The other is called behaviorism, which says you know what someone believes because you know how they behave. Um, and if your beliefs or what you confess to your beliefs are in conflict with the way you behave, there's a very natural question to ask here, which is what do you really believe? Let's go for an example again. Imagine someone says to you, money can't make you happy, oh, I know that. But then they spend 70 hours a week in the office and never see their kids. What do they believe? What do they really believe? And I think this is a really good question to ask ourselves as well. Furthermore, even the word belief in English comes from the old English, be living. So our word itself actually is about how it's manifest in life, and that that's, that's what we believe. Um, and if you look, I, unfortunately, I don't have enough time to go through the whole of Hebrews, although my clock would probably stop working, because it's a wind-up um, wind clock. But most of Hebrews 11 is actually about people doing things. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith, Noah. By faith, Moses. By faith. By faith, they did things. So this is going to nicely bring us on to the next verse I want to look at, which is um, verse 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Here's a good example of someone who demonstrated a belief that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Moses was the grandson, adopted grandson, of the Pharaoh of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world. He had it all. Maybe he would even be in Pharaoh one day and be the most powerful person in the world. But when he compared that kind of reward to what he believed would be the reward from God by identifying with his people and not ignoring their suffering, he considered... I mean, he's talking about the reproaches of Christ in this verse, which is obviously an anachronism because Christ hadn't come then. But that kind of suffering for though the oppressed, he considered the rewards that come from that and seeking God to be far greater than all the treasures in Egypt. 
So he seems like a good example of someone whose faith is demonstrated in their actions. Now, you biblical scholars out here may have certain alarm bells ringing, or questions anyway, about the relationship between faith and works, because it's a major theme in the Bible. There are some who think that Paul and James fundamentally disagreed on the place that works have for the Christian. Paul says, you've been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What Paul says here is clearly true. You can repent on your deathbed, having done no further good works, and be in heaven. That's what Jesus says to the to the thief who was crucified beside him. So you don't need to do good works to get to heaven. So that's clearly true. James says, but, (laughs) maybe, he's saying but to Paul. He certainly does say, though, faith without works is dead. You show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is clearly correct. If you say you have faith, but it's not at all demonstrated in the way you live... You don't have faith. John would say, you cannot say you love God whom you haven't seen and yet hate your brother whom you have seen. How you love the people around you is the material demonstration of the faith that you have. If you love God, it demonstrates, it manifests itself in your material relationships with those around you. So James is right, but I don't see these in contradiction. It's faith that saves us, but but our works are a manifestation of that faith in terms of how we interact with each other. And if that manifestation of faith isn't visible, then you've got to start to question whether or not you have that faith. But remember, faith is not a matter of good works. Just as it's not a matter of belief, it's also not a matter of good works. Why? Because faith is a substance. Faith is evidence. Good works, like belief, follow from faith. They are part of the outworking of faith through a transformation of our nature and character, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And if that's not happening, then you should start to ask why. But finally, faith is a substance. Now, So that was the second aspect, was that faith involves action. We'll go on to the last one. We'll start with verse 13. Yeah, so, yeah, jump to verse 13. Scripture, please. I might just start reading it. You got that one? There we go, fantastic. These, meaning the people of faith that the writer's just been talking about, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So that was the next part of the verse. There we go. So here we have people of faith. They didn't have those promises manifest, but they somehow saw them afar off, embraced them and confessed them, and as a result, they became or felt like strangers and pilgrims in this world. So hold that thought. We'll also look at verse 27. If you've got it. Excellent. For this reason, we never become discouraged. Even uh, That's the wrong one. Okay, I'm going to read what I've got here. By faith, he, Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So here is the final aspect. Faith involves seeing. And this one's quite interesting. 
Nah, they're all interesting. This one I think is particularly interesting. We've all heard, we're all used to the idiom, uh, seeing is believing. And the idea of this idiom is that it, we might not think something is true, but if I saw it, then I would come to believe it, that our beliefs are somehow arise from the things that we see or experience. But I can tell you for a fact, it is far more true to look at that idiom in the converse, in other words, flip it around. And the converse is that believing is seeing. The world that you see around you doesn't come to you raw. Before you're ever conscious of this world in which you live, your mind has got to work on that stuff and has drawn your attention to certain things, provided certain emotional reactions, and a lot of this is based on your beliefs and on the concepts that you have to make sense of the world. I'll give you an example. If you believe that your spouse is being unfaithful, you will see um, questionable behavior in normal activities because your beliefs will inform what you see. Here's a slightly more down-to-earth example. I will confess to being awful at cooking. My culinary concepts are minimal at best. When I open the cupboard, I see the baked beans, the bread, and the cheese. <laughs> My wife is the opposite. When she opens the cupboard, she sees 100 recipes and the ingredients to create something amazing. Her concepts and her beliefs completely change what she sees and experiences. Um, on a cultural level, I'm going to help make sense of some of the cultural stuff that you may all be a bit concerned about or a bit curious about. Um, the beliefs of the society in which we're in completely affects the entire world in which we live and what we experience. Um, things said in the past, if they were said now, would be experienced very differently. Certain things, even 20 years ago, that my friends and I might have said. Fortunately, we weren't on Twitter then. Uh, if they were said now, would, would, would have a completely different reaction. People would genuinely experience them differently. And this is why these films that are set in the past, where everybody has 21st century morals, well, the heroes do, are just so completely off. Those people wouldn't even be thinking in those terms, and they're confronted with that kind of stuff. This is also why there is such a battle going on about language, what language you can and cannot use. Those who are involved in uh, progressive causes, they want to make sure that certain words are used and certain words aren't. Why? Because the words that we use structure the concepts that we have in our mind. We think in language. We think in language. So if you can change language, if you can change the concepts through which we make sense of the world and what we call things, you literally change the world that people experience. Um, I know this, I'm, I'm involved in academics, it's, 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 it's true, okay? So, now this is interesting because we still have a very Christian culture, and it used to be reflected a lot in language, but when I, was, I wrote something to a student at, at Cambridge that I was supervising, and I said something about, oh, well, it's important to capture the spirit and not worry so much about the letter, and they had no idea what I meant. Because that's from the Bible, that's from Paul, right? the idea of the spirit rather than the letter. Or if, if you say other things, like, oh, well, I'm just, that's just my cross to bear. Again, that idea, just if it isn't part of your way of making sense of the world, you won't even think in those terms. So the world won't even be experienced in those terms. 
Here's a really good example. When I was growing up, if a politician was found to have done something genuinely immoral, they might put their hands up, if you're lucky, and say that they were wrong or that, that, that what they did was immoral. Nowadays, they'll say, I made, a I made an error of judgment. So what we have now is the concept that we bring to things like that is no longer a moral one about good and evil and right and wrong, but it's one about like a bug in the system or a computer making a slip-up, that kind of thing. So, and that does transform the world we see, so I'm going to stop talking about all of that now. So how does this relate to faith? Well, what it means is that by faith, we should see the world completely differently. The entire way in which we, the concepts we bring to bear in our experience of the world transforms the world that we live in. It provides a completely different lens through which we see and through which we experience the world. We walk by faith and not by sight, having our eyes fixed on a different reality. Christians should, depending on the culture that they're in, and our culture is still broadly Christian, but Christians who have worked out their faith will inhabit a completely different world to the alien, non-Christian culture around them. And I want to argue that it's this that provided that sense of dislocation for those people of faith that the writer was talking about. That when you see through the eyes of faith, when you learn what's important and what isn't and what's valuable and what isn't, and what is not invaluable, you will feel like a stranger. You will feel like a pilgrim. You will recognize that this is not your home, but your home is the heavenly realm. Yeah, and, make, and here's, another, here's a good example of how this might work in our everyday context. So let's say you have faith, you have this lens. It should change what you notice. It should change what you experience. A faith-centered view, therefore, man, is a manifestation of faith, just like belief, just like action. If you have faith, it should manifest itself in the very way you experience the world. It should result in you noticing the needy, you noticing the hungry. It should result in a reaction of compassion, of love, and a capacity to see people in their place and their hurts, and not merely not see them. It should result in, in you feeling the world that Christ feels, in seeing the world that Christ sees. But faith is also deeper than feelings. It's also deeper than the world that you see because faith is a substance. And also faith isn't merely passive. And the seeing through faith is passive. We need the action, we need the belief. All right, so these are three important aspects of faith that follow from faith and should follow from faith. And if they don't, then um, go to God. <laughs> Let's go back now to Hebrews 1 and the definition. So how then is faith a substance? Well, another potential translation of substance is realization. Some Bibles have assurance, but it isn't really the greatest. Is the substance or realization? Now, realization doesn't mean, as we sometimes mean, like, oh, I realized this. The word realization means the making real of. So we have this notion of substance, and we have this notion of making real. And faith, then, is the substance of things hoped for, and a process whereby we make real that, uh, those things that we hope for. Right, so unpack that a little bit. Imagine you go up to somebody and you say, what do you hope for? We need to think about hope a little bit more. What do you hope will happen in 20 years' time? Oh, I hope I have a house by the beach, a Tesla parked in the driveway, um, whatever else it is they say. 
Well, that gives you a pretty good indication as to what, what they hope for, gives you a pretty good indication as to their values, what they're pursuing, what they're trying to realize, what they're trying to bring into being, what they're trying to make substantial. So from faith, your values and your hopes should get completely rewired. In fact, I'm arguing that faith itself is the very rewiring of those values. And that part of that faith transformation, part of that faithful conversion, when we see it in the Bible, is that rewiring of values and aims and purpose. Faith in God values and so hopes for the revelation and which is the glory um, of God. Our hope from faith is for the full uh, manifestation of God's attributes. Now we recognize that only in the heavenly realm will God's attributes be fully realized. So it is the heavenly country that we hope for and thus realize in faith. Now, I didn't read that verse either, but there's another verse in Hebrews 11 that says that when they realize they're strangers and pilgrims, they recognize the country was in heaven, and that's what they longed for, a new land. But faith, though, is the posture that we take to make that heavenly realm a reality, to make those hopeful things substance, to make them substantial in this world, how we manifest them. Faith is therefore the posture that makes this hope real. How? Through the combination of seeing, acting, and thinking by faith. We live by faith by living as if the heavenly realm were more real than this one. That when you dig down to the very depths of reality and you hit rock bottom, you have the manifestation of God's attributes. That God is more real and heaven is more real than this world. We live in hope of the fullness and the completeness of all that is true, good, and glorious. We recognize that these are eternal realities of a sort more fundamental than the world we are strangers within. And we recognize that this world is not worthy to be compared with the eternal dwelling place of God. So it's this posture of faith that then is the substance of hope, and it produces um, belief, action, and seeing. But what about evidence? Well, similarly, this faith is itself the evidence of the unseen. What is the unseen? Well, Paul says in Romans, uh, whatever is seen, you can't hope for, because if you see it, you can't hope for it, otherwise hope isn't hope. So he, he links, whether he wrote Hebrews or not, he certainly links what you see um, is not what you hope for. What you hope for is the unseen. So I think here again, we just have a repetition of what he said before. Faith is the evidence of the unseen. It's the evidence of that which is hoped for. And what is evidence? That's another philosophical question. But what I want to say is that evidence is present data, present things that are observable or real, that is used to substantiate a claim which you cannot see, can't experience directly. If I want to prove a certain fundamental particle exists and I'm a theoretical physicist, I can't see it. So I have to look at things that I can see and say, well, this proves or this is evidence of that thing. Similarly with faith then. Faith is itself the evidence of the unseen. Faith is itself the present manifestation, the present substance, the present data 
of this unseen realm. How then do we make sense of that? How does that connect with so much of the rest of the Bible? Well, I think it's a theme all the way through. This is a theme that Christ talks about in how we manifest the kingdom of God. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. When he says that he's the ladder upon which the angels ascend and descend, when he's talking to Nathaniel, that faith then becomes the point at which God's kingdom is made manifest and becomes real. Faith then, as far as evidence is concerned, is evidence to the world of heaven. That your faith is evidence to the world of the unseen realm. That we, through faith, become living evidence, living testimony to the world that is to come. And to the world that's not only to come, it's already, it's already present, because it's beyond time, it's just far more real. And then through this faith, and our partnership with the Holy Spirit, we bring heaven to earth and establish his kingdom in and for this dark world. So hopefully that can, um, the band um, come up. Hopefully that can help make sense of this slightly weird definition at the beginning and help us focus on what is that core. That core is something so deep, so interconnected and intertwined with who we become in Christ, this new creation, that it cannot help but grow and take over every aspect of our being, everything we think, our will, what we do, and our perception, what we see and experience around us. So let's just pray for that right now. Thank you, God, that you have called us by grace, through faith, into fellowship and communion with you through the incredible sacrifice of your Son. Thank you, Lord, for the indwelling Holy Spirit I pray that that spirit can begin to grow more and more, take over us more and more, and manifest itself, not only in us, but importantly to the world and to your other children. Father, I pray that we can become the site and the place, not just individually, but as the church, that we can recapture this call to live lives of faith where we become the site of heaven breaking out um, that we live lives of substance and faithfulness to the faith that we have been given. I pray we can do this humbly, we can do this in prayer and mindfully, that we can see the world that you see, feel the world that you feel, that we can think your thoughts, we can believe your statutes and your commandments, and that we can do the works of God in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen.